Amen. You know, we come to those things just as uh, Sharon was sharing, where we read God's Word, and it seems sort of easy why we're reading it, but to really put it into play is um, something difficult. But, you know, we have the promise that God says He will not take us through more than what we can bear. And um, to stay in the Word and to have that hope in, in Christ um, is an interesting thing. And I was sharing... Uh, we went up to an event yesterday, and I've been uh, sort of regurgitating First John as I've continued to go through that. And uh, it, it's been difficult for me when I read through this, and and when I when we've seen these challenges that are there, because it it gets me examining my life and looking at my life, and sort of sometimes seeing that uh, what do they call that stinking thinking and wrong attitudes and, and bad behaviors. and um, But what we come to with John is John says, what do you do with these verses? And he lays it out there uh, pretty plain. And we can get to that point where we get a little judgy and, you know, or we can look at others and say, well, I read this and, you know, look at you. But as I shared with somebody yesterday, I said, you know, I really believe like 98% or plus of the scriptures are written for me. When I'm reading it, it's like, Craig, what are you going to do with these scriptures? And we're in 1 John 3 again, if you want to turn there. And as we talked last week, you know, John's been pretty hard on us. You know, he's telling us, the scriptures are telling us, if we profess to uh, be children of light and walk in darkness, we're liars. Not me saying that, that's what God's word says. And he sort of talks about all these things that, in our life, the hypocrisy that can go on. Well, we took that break last week and we talked about, you know, the good news is this, we're children of God. We belong to him if we are truly born again. And so we can get that comfort there of saying, I know that I'm a child of God, whatever I'm going through, uh, he is there with me. But now John sort of uh, puts the spikes in again and he says, well, what is a child of God? And that's what we are going to talk about today. How does a child of God behave? What are the signs of a child of God? How can you recognize a child of God? Is it just a profession uh, of our mouth to say, well, I'm a Christian? Is that all it takes? Does it just take a, a little prayer that we've said sometime in our life? Or is it something more? And as we read through 1 John 3, and I think we're going to maybe go verses 4 through 11, um, it, it talks about the sin in our life and a child of God. How do those things correlate in our life? Do those things correlate in our life? And in my years of, of pastoring, coming up on 30-some years of, of church pastoring, I've heard all sorts of things. I've probably used all sorts of things to justify things in my life. But the thing about Scripture is when we get there, it sort of strips us bare. It's between God and I. And when I'm looking at the Scriptures, it's like God asks, what are you doing with these Scriptures? What do you do with the Word of God? What is my relationship with you and you with me? And that's what John is bringing us to here. And so it starts out in 4. It says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, speaking of Jesus, and in him, Jesus, there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins 
has neither seen him nor knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And then he talks a little bit about the imperative of love. And this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or made known. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So I, I've been reading through this for several weeks. And when we read this at face value, it sounds rather impossible, right? We don't sin. Well, John addresses all this. And it's sin that attacks our relationship with God. It is sin that the world minimizes and justifies. It is sin that the world begins to say is good. You know, where the Bible says there's a day coming when we are going to call evil good and good evil. And we're in those times right now. We need to understand that. But in verses 4 and 5, it talks about the nature of sin and in Jesus' work removing the sin from our life. And so we're going to dissect this a little bit, and hopefully it's going to help us to, to understand a little bit more about that relationship and what is sin and, and sin in our life, and do we as Christians sin? And I would say the Bible tells us that we, we do sin. So what does he mean when he is telling us all these things? Well, he tells us first that sin is lawlessness. He says that's the very basic root of it. It's lawlessness. It's without law. When we speed, we're breaking the law. That's a sin. We do it, don't we? But it's lawlessness. And so God has a law. God has his word that he says we as believers are to follow. And so it's a disregard for the law of God, which essentially if we are living in that pattern in our life, is a disregard for the lawmaker, a disregard for God himself. And so do we think about that in our life as we sin? See, we often fail in the battle against sin because we really don't call sin, sin in the world anymore. We'll say things like, well, if I've done anything wrong, we minimize it. We might have been bitter, we might have been angry, we might have been vengeful, we might have been cruel in the things that we've said or that we've done, and, and we sort of don't back off and say, hey, I've sinned. We, we say, well, if I've done anything wrong. Or sometimes we'll step back and say, well, mistakes were made. Why don't we call it for what it is? Sin is sin. The thing about the word sin, no matter when you look at it, it makes me feel dirty if I think I've sinned Amen. and when I've known I've sinned. It doesn't quite feel so dirty if I say, well, I, you know, I made a mistake. We all make mistakes, and, you know, that's okay. But when I say I've sinned, it, it makes me feel dirty. It makes me realize that I violated something with God. We don't call sin for what it is. Stoltz says this, The first step towards holy living is to recognize the true nature and the wickedness of sin. You know, when I was studying for this, because the, the verses are sort of complex, and for me they can, they can sort of get in my mind of like what is really being said here. And, 
And I didn't really want to look at contemporary preachers. Um, I, I read a lot of commentaries, and I'll, I'll read different uh, deals. But I wanted to go back to some of the, the older commentators because they had a way of saying things sort of direct and, and precise. They weren't really afraid of stepping on people's toes. So you get people like Spurgeon or Stoat or Barclay and them, they, they, Matthews, they'll, they'll sort of spell it out the way it is. And he says, do we really recognize the nature and the wickedness of sin? Well, when we step back and look at something and we see it as sin because God's word calls it sin, what do we do with it? So John here defines the mission of Jesus as the most really basic thing, to take away sin. That was the mission of Jesus, to come down here to be our uh, redeemer, to remove the sin from us. He died for our sins. He went to the cross. He was without sin, became sin for us, so that we can be presented pure and holy before God. The angel Gabriel promised Joseph regarding the ministry of Jesus this way. And in Matthew 1.21, it says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. That's the very, the, the very base of what Jesus has come to do, is to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin. But we need to recognize what that sin is and, and deal with it in our life. And so when we look at the purpose of Jesus and what Jesus has done, Jesus takes away the sin by taking away the penalty of sin. He went to the cross and died so we don't have to. He's given us that, that option, that, that offer of eternal life. He who is without sin took my sin. I sent him to the cross. It was my sin that put the nails in his hands. It was my sin that caused the scourging of his back. It was my sin that put him there. We don't like to look at that. We like to look at the sins of the world because then we're just one of many. But I wanted to challenge you really for a pursuit of holiness in our life and of the righteousness that, that God desires for us in our life that we need to make this personal. We need to make this, this uh, uh, a personal issue of my sin in God. I understand we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous. But the Bible says, I'm a sinner. I'm not righteous. I need a Savior. So Jesus takes away the sin by paying the penalty for sin. Secondly, he takes away the sin by taking away the power of sin in our life. Do you realize that if you're truly a child of God, and this is what John's talking about, if you are truly a child of God, he has taken away that power of sin in your life. I remember being raised up, I can't remember what the show was, um, but, but this little guy would always get out there, oh, the devil made me do it. As a child of God, the devil cannot make you do anything. I don't, I don't know if you believe it. People just say, oh, you know, it's just God's created me this way. I've just been born this way. No. When God created man, he says, I have made everything good. It was Adam and Eve in the garden that chose to sin. And it's been that way ever since. If you're truly a child of God and you're sinning in your life, it's because you are choosing to sin in your life. Now I want to talk about, you know, it's not that we can be without sin because we're going to address that in a moment. But Jesus has taken away the power of sin when we are tempted 
1 Corinthians, I believe it says, that when we are tempted, he always provides a way out. We don't need to give in to sin in our life. That's why we need to be sort of slow to actions. That's why we need to be praying about things in our life. We need to stop being reactionary people that just move on the whims and the feelings and the emotions of things. We need to really look and say, what is it that God has? You know, if we would slow down our lives as Christians and really get deliberate. I I like that when Dale shared that about being deliberate in our faith, deliberate in our study, deliberate in the things that we do. If we think before we speak, can you imagine how much less our foot would be in our mouth? Can you imagine how much less hurt would be in the world, or at least in, in our circles? How much less offending that I would do? So Jesus came to take away the power of sin in the lives of those who are walking after him, who are following him in his children. Jesus takes away sin by taking away the presence of sin. And that's going to be accomplished in the glory of God when we go to be with him. So God has given us the victory. Through Jesus, we have the victory as children of God. And so he's, John is telling us as children of God, you've got to ask yourself this question. Are you abiding in sin or are you abiding in God? Verse 6 says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. Boy, that's a hard question. And there are cults out there that say that as believers, we can walk sinless lives. Now as evangelicals, we believe that when we accept Christ as our Savior, that he has died for our sins past, present, and future. But that doesn't make us sinless in this life. We still need to repent of those things. It's just that he has paid those things in the presence of sin, that when we are brought to him, we have been cleansed by his blood. But are we abiding in sin, or are we abiding in God? So it's important to understand what the Bible is teaching and what the Bible is not teaching when you come to verses like this. Because according to the verb tense that John uses, does not sin means does not live in a lifestyle of habitual sin. So he's talking about our lifestyle as children of God. And so these verses are tough because we all know people that are living in habitual sin. They're choosing to to remain in a sinful state day after day, week after week, month after month. They're choosing to do that in their life. And they want to call themselves Christians. Now, our job is not to judge those. Our job is to share God's word. But what do you do with the scripture like this? Do we say, well, this this scripture can't be right? If you take one verse out of the Bible, you might as well close the whole book. It says, let God be true and every man a liar. So we need to look at these verses that say, whoever abides in him does not sin, does not habitually sin, does not continually live in a sinful state. Doesn't mean that we don't sin, that we don't have sin in our life. But that's the verb. That's what the verb means in there. I'm not a... An English teacher, I just read what other experts have said in that field. So the verb tense that John uses, does not sin, means does not live a lifestyle of habitual sin. What is your lifestyle? The lifestyle is like, what are you day in and day out? We all fall short. We all have mistakes in our lives. We all sin in the things that we do. But as a lifestyle, as a, as a point of character. By the way, one of the Bible studies is in, on integrity that they're going to be going through at the rites. 
You know, what is our lifestyle day in and day out? John already told us in John, 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we know that we have sin in us. We have a propensity to sin. We have a desire to sin because we have a sin nature that is still in us even though we have Christ's nature in us. We have the two that, that battle together. So we know that we're going to have sin in our lives because we think things that we shouldn't. Sometimes we do things that we shouldn't. But the grammar really indicates that John is speaking about occasional acts of sin in 1 John 1.8. Those sins that we do on a reactionary thing because we're not stopping to think, because we're not praying about those things, because we just fall into that weakness and choose to follow that sinful nature. The grammar in John 1.3.6 indicates that John's speaking of a settled sin, one that's rooted in our life one that we are continued in our lifestyle of. And so there's a little difference there as as he's talking about this. But it's something that we need to look at because John's not talking about sinless perfection in our life. That's only in Christ. And now we see dimly in a mirror, but then face to face. And then we shall be as he is when we're in his presence and in his glory. We shall be in that sinless state for the work of Christ that has been done in this world. But in this world, we still battle with these things. So it's really implied of a, of a habit, of a, of a continuity. You know, when we talk about continuity, sometimes we say continuity is good. Well, if it's about sin, it's not good. If we have continued uh, sin in our life or an unbroken sequence. So there's even those that sometimes, you know, they wrestle with a sin in their life and then maybe it's out of their life for a while and then it comes back again. And we wrestle with it some more. But we're wrestling with it. I always say that's the good thing. When we have the Holy Spirit in us, it's convicting us. You know, just as was shared this morning, when I I don't get in the Word, when I'm not doing a devotion, if I missed it that day, that's not the end of all things. It doesn't mean that we've lost our salvation or that we don't love God. But we get convicted of that by the Holy Spirit because it's His Spirit testifies with my spirit that I need to be there because it feeds me, it nourishes me, it strengthens me in the things that I'm doing. So John's message is really consistent with the rest of Scripture as we read through it and as we look at it. It tells us that a lifestyle of habitual sin is inconsistent. So a lifestyle of habitual sin, we continue in sin knowingly, willingly, um, choosing to do that, is inconsistent with a life of abiding in Jesus Christ. Now a few weeks ago we talked about abiding in Christ being grafted in to the vine, living for him, producing that fruit. And so John is really saying, if you are choosing to remain in sin, you are choosing to continue in sin, you are continuing to to do these things in your life willfully and openly and willingly, you're really not abiding in Christ. He says the two are incompatible with one another. So what do we do with the scripture like that? Because the question really isn't, do we sin or not? We each sin. We can't can't sit here and say, well, I'm I'm better than you because I sin less than you. It's one sin that separated us from God. It was only the sin of disobedience that lost all of mankind. Sometimes we say, well, these people got worse sins than what I have. No such thing. Sin is sin. When we call sin, 
It's, it's dirty. It's vile. It separates us from God. The Father couldn't even look upon it when Jesus hung upon the cross. It wasn't that he didn't want to see Jesus on the cross. It was that he couldn't look at the vileness of sin. We need that attitude when we look at sin in our life. But how do you react when you sin? All of a sudden we find ourselves in a sinful situation. Or, or you know, and, and some of us stumble into it. All of a sudden it's like we, we realize, oh man, this is wrong. What I'm doing and, and how I'm living. You know, we have, we have great friends, and I'm not going to mention their name, but when they first came to Christ, they were living together. They were coming to church, and I wasn't the pastor, I was just a, a member of the church, but they were coming to church. Great people, great friends. And the pastor went over and visited with them, and the pastor explained from the Word of God, he said, do you know that that's a sin? Do you know that's vile in God's eyes? God says these things should not be going on. And they said, we didn't know that. And they really didn't. In their ignorance, they didn't really know that. Everybody else does it. If we look at the world, that's what the world does. You know, they're test driving all the cars. Well, we think in relationships, you've got to test drive all the relationships. They didn't know that. And immediately, they moved out from one another. They said, but we want to get married pretty quick. But they moved apart. Because Christ was center of their life and they wanted to be pleasing to God. They had had that born again experience. Their life had changed. Because that's what Jesus does to people. Jesus changes us. And John is saying, is your mind changed? Is your attitude towards sin changed? And it was in their life. And so they separated out and within three months they were married. And I'll tell you, Lord, the Lord is using them mightily and greatly to this very day. Great friends. But it showed me, as a young Christian, the power of God in a person's life. So what do you do? How do you react when you sin? Do you, do you humbly go to God and, and repent of those things? Do you say, I'm not doing that anymore, and walk away from that? Or do you try to justify it in your life? Do you give in to the pattern of sin? Justifying everybody else is doing it. Oh, it's okay. Oh, it's not as bad as this one. The Bible says he who compares himself to another is not wise. Compare yourself to the holiness and the righteousness of Christ and see where you stand. You want to be humbled. You want to be knocked to your knees. You want to fall prostrate on your face. Compare yourself to Jesus Christ. Because he is the one we are to compare ourselves to. You let sin dominate your lifestyle. Is it just such a part that's ingrained in you that you just let it run your life? Or do you humbly confess your sin? Do you do battle against that sin by the power that Jesus has given you? If I fight sin on my own power, I usually fail. But Philippians will tell me this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in ways of righteousness, in ways of, of truth, God will give me the power when I recognize the sin and I say, Lord, take this from me. Lord, help me with this. I feel weak. I feel defeated. I, I feel overwhelmed with this thing. Sometimes I don't know if I'm sinking or swimming. God is faithful. God will come and he will give you the strength that you need. Then we have our church family where we can ask somebody else, will you pray for me? I'm struggling in this. Lift me up in prayer. Hold me up in prayer. Be an encouragement. Give me accountability. I've been very blessed in my life to have different 
the men in my life that, that hold me accountable to things. They'll ask me the tough questions. A lot of people don't like that. None of your business. Well, it is. You're my brother. You're my sister. I love you. I want you to be right with God as I want to be right with God. And to the same standard that I will hold you, you hold me. What do you do with sin in your life? Do you give it to God? Do you, do you ask for his power? Sometimes it's a minute by minute thing. Temptation can be terrible. The devil, he doesn't, he doesn't fight fair. But God knows. God knows my breaking point, and he says, and he gives me that promise, that I will not be tempted beyond what I can bear, and when I am tempted, he'll provide me a way out. The important thing, I think, in our life is that we really never sign like a peace treaty with sin. That we don't become comfortable with sin in our life. And we do that, our heart gets hardened. The more we continue in sin, the more we justify sin, the more that we walk in sin, <clears throat> it becomes a part of our life, and, and we sort of sign this peace treaty, like, well, it's okay. God will understand. <clears throat> we sort of, like, almost, like, wink at its presence. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. What does God think when his children are doing this? For those of you that are parents, what would you think if your child was doing things that were not right? That would bring shame. Wouldn't you address them? Wouldn't you want them on the right path? Wouldn't you do everything in your power to, to get them there? And we know as we've raised kids, they have excuses. Are we going to God our Father with excuses of why we are doing the things that we are doing? Everybody has their own sinful areas. Jesus understands. God understands. As I've read through the gospel, this is one thing that I know God understands. That he gave his one and only son to die for my sins. To pay for my sins. To redeem me from my sins. To deliver me from my sins. That's what Jesus understands. Because if we're living a life of habitual sin and in the continuity of sin and excusing our sin and justifying our sin and minimizing our sin, it completely goes against everything that we are in Jesus. It goes against everything that Jesus stands for and that Jesus came for. It goes against every grain of the holiness of God. It goes against everything that if we call ourselves a child of God, of the work that he has done in our life. And I got to realize that. And you got to realize that. The scripture is for you. We need to understand that. That when we are walking in, in the ways of sin and choosing to sin and justifying the sin, and doing all these things, this is what John is talking about. Are you truly a child of God? Because if you're truly a child of God, sin should repulse you. Sin should be so offensive to you that even if you have it in your life, you want it out of your life. Do you have that attitude that John is talking about? You know, there, there's friends and people that we meet in this world that are so wonderful that, that they uh, really change our life forever. I've been really blessed to have some friends like that. 
But above those friends, Jesus is that kind of person. And the Bible says that when we truly accept Christ as our Savior, that old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. We have a power in us. We have a strength in us. We have a a resolve in us. We have a battle that is now going on us that says, the ways of the world are not the ways that I want to walk anymore. I want to walk the way of Christ. I want what Jesus wants for my life. I want to do what it is that is glorifying him. Are we doing that in our speech? Are we doing that in in our social media? Are we doing that in our lifestyle? Are we bringing glory to God through our life. He tells us in verse 7 here, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Let no one deceive you. This is telling us that, that John is really saying there was a problem in the church back then that deception was threatening the Christians of his day. Do you think deception is threatening the Christians of this day? We deceive ourselves. We talk ourselves into saying things are okay. John really says this. He he did not allow us to separate our religious righteousness, which is a lot of what the world has today, from a life of righteousness. See, we come to church. We dress up. We look sort of nice. We come to church. We sing the hymns. we, We sing the praises. We greet one another, nice to see a brother, nice to see a sister. And we, and we have this mask of righteousness on for Sunday mornings. Maybe even we get our mindset right when we come to church. But John is talking about a lifestyle of righteousness. What are you Sunday afternoon through the next Sunday morning? What is your life showing to people there? Let no one deceive you, he says. If we're made righteous by faith in Jesus, as Romans 3 would tell us, if that's really the righteousness that we have in our life, it's going to see the righteousness in our lives. He tells us as we're grafted into the vine, that we are going to bear much fruit when we are grafted into the vine. If we're not grafted in, the fruit isn't going to be there. So John is really telling us, look at your life. Are you really grafted in? Are you just saying, you know, guess what, I'm an apple tree, but I'm never producing apples. Are you really an apple tree? If we're grafted into Christ, we're going to produce that fruit that he has for us because the the Bible clearly teaches us, clearly teaches us that the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ is going to be evident in our lives. Not just Sunday mornings but Sunday afternoons. It's going to be there not just when times are good, but when times are tough. And that's the real challenge is when times get rough. It's real easy to be religious and holy and and, and well-behaved when I'm around a bunch of Christians. But when we get into the world, and of course jesting and jokes and talk and other things of this world come in, it's a little bit different. That's where the challenge comes, but that's where Jesus says that our light is going to shine the brightest. Spurgeon said this, he says, The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Think about that. 
The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. That's a cheap grace. That's a grace and profession only. Jesus came to change our lives. He came to make a difference in our lives. We can live lives characterized by righteousness, not sin. Are you known for the righteousness in your life or are you known for the sin in your life? Jesus says, I've given you my righteousness if you're truly a child of God. I've given you my righteousness that you may walk in the light of life. Are you walking? Are you following him? He has given us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you? Jesus is challenging us on all those avenues, and there are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Don't be pointing your fingers at your neighbors or those in your family or those around you. Point the finger at yourself. Say, where am I in those statements that Jesus is making? Where am I in those statements that the scriptures are making? He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was made manifest, that, we might, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Again, he's talking about the habitual sin. He's really saying, in my paraphrase here, that if you're truly born again, you will not continue in habitual sin, in continuity of sin in your life. You may have sin in your life, but when that sin comes up because you are truly a child of God and his righteousness dwells in you, he's going to bring you to a point of dealing with that in your life. You can go through and you can read this over and over and you can go study it. And I mean, there's, there's commentaries out there. You need to look at these things and say, what does this mean in my life? What does this scripture say to me? Examine yourself, the Bible says, to see if you are in the faith. We need to look at our lives. We need to be constantly holding that mirror before us that Christ has provided. We can sing the songs, living for Jesus, but are we living for Jesus? Are you living for Jesus? Because the root of sin and the root of righteousness are described in those verses right there. He tells us that people who are settled in their sin, in a habitual sin, John is really saying, are of the devil. It's not me saying this, it's what the scriptures say. Again, when we look at that, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for the seed remains in him. Do you have the seed of Christ in you? Are you a Christian in, in profession only or in life? It says, he who sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The devil wants us to be defeated. So it doesn't mean that because we have sin in our life that we can't be a child of God because we do have sin in our life. But John is saying, look at your mind. Look at your attitude. How is it that you approach sin? Do you hate it? Do you hate it the way that God hates it? Well, we may never hate it the way that God hates it because who can have the mind of Christ? But he gives us that example. We should hate sin in our life. Spurgeon had one more quote that I'd like to share. It just says, uh, Make no mistake, sir. He that committeth sin is of the devil. It is no use making excuses and apologies. 
If you are a lover of sin, you shall go where sinners go. If you who live after this fashion say that you have believed in the precious blood of Christ, I do not believe you, sir. If you had a true faith in that precious blood, you would hate sin. If you dare to say that you are trusting in the atonement while you live in sin, you lie, sir. You do not trust in the atonement, for there is a real faith in the atoning sacrifice. It purifies the man and makes him hate the sin which shed the Redeemer's blood. That's Spurgeon. Those old-time preachers, man, they weren't afraid to say things. You say that in a lot of churches today, you're going to empty the church out. But you know what? They thought that it'd be better to have a small group of true believers desiring to change the world than a church full of lukewarm that were compromising and leading others into the pit of hell. So he tells us, Jesus came to take away our sins, but he also says this, that he came to destroy the works of the devil. Remember we talked about the Antichrist and the little Antichrist and the work of the devil in this world. Jesus has come to give us victory to destroy that work of the devil and in the believer's life he has. In the true child of God he has destroyed that work. He has given us the power to overcome those things. Jesus came to destroy the work, not to neutralize them, not to hold them at, at bay, not to alleviate the works of the devil, not to just limit the works of the devil in our life. But the scriptures say that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Most Christians aren't walking in the victory because they don't believe that. They don't believe that they have the power as a born-again believer of Jesus Christ that, that they can overcome those things in their life. But Jesus says, I've come to give you victory. John is just simply emphasizing what it means to be born again. That's really the born again message. You once were as filthy rags, but now you have been washed, you have been cleansed, you have been renewed. I have come to give them life, and that more abundantly. Do you believe in the power of Christ in your life? Paul preached the same message, saying, Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts of the world. John started this out, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. John says, cast those things off. Paul is saying, cast those things off. He says, you are to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4. We can't hide from the scriptures and the truth of, of how it wants to cleanse us and purify us. You know, God tells us this. He says, be holy as I am holy. We say, well, I can't be holy like God. Maybe not. But does that mean that you can't continue to try? When you're growing up and your kids, you know, you say, maybe you can be a teacher or a doctor. Well, I don't know. But you got to try. You got to try. The ideal is what we as Christians walk in. I strive in the perfection of Christ, knowing that I'm going to fall. And when I fall, that's okay, because if I could do perfection, I wouldn't need a Savior, right? So I know I'm going to fall, but I strive to walk in His ways. I strive 
to be in his word. And when I fall short, I have an advocate. I have a savior. John tells us that we're born again. That we're born into the family of God. If you're sitting here today and you are a child of Christ, you know what that means. You have the spirit that's in you testifying with your spirit that yes, I'm born again. And even though I fall short and I make mistakes and, and I sin, I want that sin in my life to repel and repulse me to a point where I deal with it in my life. I want that real change to happen in my life that only comes by submitting and yielding myself to Christ Jesus. Do you have that in your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is sometimes difficult to swallow. And the reason it is is because it requires us to do something. It requires us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. It requires us to really look at the filthiness and the nastiness of sin and really what it is. So Father, just help us, Lord, not to, not to minimize sin, to call sin what it is in our life. Not just that I have a bad attitude or I guess I'm a little bitter. But know that that's sin. That's sin in our life. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways. Help your spirit to, to so fill us and overflow from us that the world knows that it's not us, that it's you. That our light would be so brightly shining to the, the world around us that they will know that something is different. Help us, Lord, to stop trying to be so much like the world that they can't tell the difference. Lord, help us to be a strange and peculiar people. Help us to bring the gospel message to those who need to hear and the hope that it is through Christ that we have victory. There's no righteousness in myself apart from you, Lord. I can try to be moral, I can try to do right, but the righteousness is from you and you alone. Help me, Lord, to walk in that righteousness. Help me to be the man that I need to be as a friend, as a father, as a husband. Father, continue to work in this body, Lord, to bring it to the point where it needs to be, that we can impact our neighbors and our community. As we've started up ministries this fall with the children and the adults and the Bible studies are going, Lord, help us to grow in your grace and in your mercy and in your knowledge and in your wisdom that we might apply these things to our life and make a difference to those around us. Help us not to just be bench warmers. Help us not to be complacent. Help us to be on fire for you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.